Hey, Sabrina. Hi, Jane. How's it going? It's good. As you know, I was in Vegas this past weekend on a friend's trip, and I've been exhausted the past three days. Yeah, I, uh, I've actually never done a Vegas trip for fun. I've been there for work and I've driven through on road trips and stuff, but I've never done the kind of weekend. I, it was the first time and probably the last time that I will uh, be doing that again. It yeah. was exhausting. I can imagine. And it was hot. We don't do well in the heat. <laughs> no, we do not. So I'm excited to have a low-key weekend, but you have a lot of stuff coming up, some social activities. Yeah, I have. I have a few friends from college that are going to be in town in Denver for like the end of this week and into the weekend here for like work and other related stuff but I'll be seeing them which is fun and then my closest friend from growing up and her fiance are coming to stay at my apartment for the week in a few weeks which is a very plan that just got finalized and so hoping to hope also not do much this weekend although I do have I have that 10k that I'm raising money are you ready I'm ready, but we have this snow coming in. It's it's May 18th today. This episode will prob- probably be out in June. And it's been like in the high 80s in Denver. And we we literally have like a freezing rainstorm, snowstorm coming in this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was, I'm like weirded out by it because it's supposed to hit 90 degrees, I think tomorrow. Yeah. And okay. this like yeah. massive cold front is coming. It's going to drop to 20 in snow. And that freaks me out entirely. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem okay. But anyway, so that's that's my weekend. I'll need to be bundling up for the race, I guess. I know you will. And I was going to go on a hike this weekend, but I think I'm certainly not going to do that now, <laughs> which maybe it's a nice excuse to be able to just stay inside, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's a lot of guilt in Colorado about not taking advantage of the weekends and not going outside. And sometimes sometimes you just gotta, well, I'm actually all for going outside, but not like driving out to the mountains and doing something. Yeah. No, there definitely is. There's like this culture of like, you should be outdoors as much as possible. And of course it's great. We should take advantage of it. But I do think you can get into that mindset of like, oh my God, am I doing something wrong? Because I just want to stay inside today. And like, that's totally fine. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a funky culture or it's not a funky culture. It's just a different culture than other places where you and I live. But anyway, we've got a fun discussion lined up for today. (laughs) Yeah, we do with Dr. Saru. Do you want to give her background? Totally. Yeah. So Dr. Saru Bala is a licensed naturopathic doctor. Uh, The abbreviation for that sort of provider is N as in Nancy, D as in David, ND, which can get easily confused with MD. And Dr. Saru gets into her experience as a naturopathic doctor and the schooling and her background and what led her into practicing um, for women's hormonal health essentially is really what she focuses on. Uh, and the conversation today is hyper-focused on gut health and like the intersection of gut health and hormonal health. And we, you and I, me and Sabrina are very close with Saru. She's one of our advisors at Poly, and she was one of the first people that I chatted with a really long time ago at this point about kind of like the general idea of creating a tech enabled company for hormonal health or whatever you want to call us. And she's just been such a tremendous help to us. And so it's a special conversation. Yeah. we talk mainly about gut health specifically. Um, we talk a lot about poop, which is something that Jane and I talk about frequently. So we are excited to talk to her because it's a topic that she delves into often with a lot of her patients. 
Um, and I think there's like, historically people get really uncomfortable when you talk about poop or you want to talk about what's going on with your bowel movements. And I think that's something you and I have always been comfortable with, but I think the majority of people aren't comfortable talking about this. So hopefully people can learn something, maybe feel a little more comfortable if they're feeling like something's off, um, talking to someone about it. Yeah. And I think it, it is funny after the recording ended, Sabrina, me and Saru caught up for a few minutes on the Zoom line and Saru was talking about how it's such a taboo topic and she's right, like it absolutely is a taboo topic and I don't understand why. Uh, I mean, I do understand why, but (laughs) at the same time, it just shouldn't be, you know? And in the same way that there's like a movement to kind of make sex not taboo and and different sorts of health-related things or just wellness-related things non-taboo, I think that that applies to our poop as well because it's such a huge indicator of our health. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And so we'll just jump right into our chat with Saru and hope everyone enjoys. Well, we are here today with Dr. Saru Bala, who is a licensed naturopathic doctor uh, located in Phoenix, Arizona. She has a focus on women's health and hormones, and she is also a poly advisor. She's been with us from the very beginning. Saru, when I first started kind of thinking of the idea of poly and just how to merge the worlds of tech and hormonal health, you were one of the first people that I chatted with. And so it's, it's super meaningful that we have you here with us today. And we're going to be chatting about gut health and hormones, as we talked about in the intro. But why don't we start off, Saru, just with learning a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like Jane, you said, um, I'm an athletic doctor. I specialize in women's health. And um, my focus is really on everything from your first period until your last period and all of the things in between that might go wrong or that might go right. So fertility, postpartum, um, mood issues, thyroid health, gut health, um, period pain, PMS, all of that fun stuff. And um, I kind of got into this because I saw that there was a huge hole between um, women just understanding their bodies, knowing what's going on with their hormones, their periods. And then um, often most women are just offered birth controllers their only solution. And I wanted to kind of bridge the gap between the women who didn't want that or who tried that didn't work out and wanted something else um, other than the solution of get pregnant or have a hysterectomy. So that's kind of where I saw there was a lot of space for me to fill in. And so um, I kind of got into the women's health space and I saw the more I started seeing patients, the more they were like, the more I heard all the other things that were going on. And so, um, I've just kind of been loving this space and I'm glad that I get to educate women. Wonderful. And no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. There's obviously such a huge gap and you are helping fill that with your practice and the type of work you do and would love to learn more just about what inspired you to kind of even be interested in that stuff. Yeah, to be absolutely. Um, I actually at 13 was diagnosed with IBD. And so I had my own journey of figuring out what works for me, what doesn't, um, doing integrative measures because the only solutions for IBD are like really harsh medications and no one at 13 years old is ever diagnosed with that. And so, um, at 13 years old, being put on like biologic medications to like suppress my immune system was just not working for me. I felt awful. And, um, I, my mom was like, okay, we, my mom was a nurse and she was like, we need to figure out something else. And so we went to, 
a ton of different specialists and finally yeah. came across um, naturopathic doctors and they kind of helped me figure out what I should be eating, how I should be eating, adding in different supplements. And ever since then, I've been pretty good and I've kind of understood how to manage um, my, my symptoms. That's awesome. And I mean, obviously not awesome that you had to go through IBD and actually two quick questions coming out of that. And then we can get more into the topic. Um, first of all, can you explain a little bit about what IBD even is? Yeah. So IBD is inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that basically there's two different kinds, there's Crohn's disease and there's ulcerative colitis. And I had Crohn's disease, um, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's are very similar the only difference is that Crohn's is found anywhere from mouth to all the way to your um, rectum, whereas yeah. ulcerative colitis is only in that like colon piece. Um, right. So that's the only difference. So I had a history of like ulcers in my stomach and then I had issues in like my uh, colon as well. And so that's why they diagnosed me with Crohn's. Um, so they're very similar. It's just kind of where along the GI tract you find right. some of those inflammatory issues. Yeah. Um, I have, I have several friends with Crohn's and colitis, and it's, it can be really, really negatively impactful mm -hmm. on your yes, life. I feel very fortunate that it wasn't super severe for me because I didn't, um, have to have any like parts of my GI tract removed, which I know is yeah. not the case for a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, and then one other question I have and your story that you kind of explained there or with your mother and finding naturopathic mm -hmm. doctors really, really is similar to my own story with my PCOS where I was a freshman in college and I was kind of going through the worst of my symptoms and I ended up going more of like a functional medicine route. I did work with a naturopathic doctor and it just opened my eyes to this yeah. entire world. But for those people listening who may not even know what a naturopathic doctor is, um, this is a little bit different than your personal experience, obviously, but it would be great just to have an idea before we get into the real meat of the discussion today about like how you practice with your clients, the type of school that you went through, because it is intense. And I think it would be really beneficial for people to have a better understanding of that. Yeah. So um, naturopathic medical school is pretty much it's, it's a more, a little bit more integrative in our curriculum. We do pretty much the same things that you would get in a conventional medical school. We do uh, patho pathophysiology, we do immunology, we do all the basic biomedical sciences. Um, you have to have a four-year degree with all of the um, biology prereqs to kind of be accepted. Um, and then on top of kind of learning about all the pharmaceuticals and um, biochemistry and everything, we also do um, the integrative side of things. So we learn about nutrition. We have hundreds of hours of nutrition kind of built into our curriculum. We also learn a lot about herbs um, and nutrients and supplements. And so when we're doing the biochemistry, it's not only how is the pharmaceuticals affecting your body, it's also how are the nutrients and how are um, the nutrition that you're eating and any herbs or supplements that we add in, how are those also affecting? Um, a specific disease. So it's kind of cool to have like the full spectrum when you're in school of, of seeing like, okay, here's what the drug is doing. Here's what the supplements are also doing in that same exact disease. So um, that's kind of a little bit about the schooling. I feel like I could talk forever about all yeah. the things that we go to school for, but um, uh, did I touch everything? Is there anything? Yeah. No, I think, I think that's perfect. We could do an entire episode on naturopathic medical school. So I think, I think that was a perfect overview, but, but thought it would lay the groundwork for mm -hmm. people listening. Who's who are kind of new to this world. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess I could also say like, when you work with a naturopathic doctor, the difference is you probably you'll spend a little bit more time 
Um, I usually spend anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes with each of my patients. And then um, my biggest focus is really figuring out why something is going on. If you have a hormonal issue, yes. if you have a period issue, it's really just looking at why. Um, a lot of the times I think people go to their doctors, they get their labs done, they get their hormones looked at. And then it's always just like, oh, your hormones look fine. Like there's nothing for me to do here. If you're having these symptoms, here's birth control. Um, whereas I always like to get down to the root of, even if your hormones look like they're okay on paper, if you're having all these symptoms, it usually kind of indicates to me that there's something going on and I like to see why. So if estrogen's off, if progesterone's off, if you're having PMS symptoms, where is that coming from? Is it a blood sugar issue? Is it stress? Is it um, yeah. your, your gut health? Is it your liver metabolism? Like where in the line is something affecting your hormones and what can we do about that? So that's really, I think, kind of how we differ from other providers is just looking and digging a little bit deeper into the why. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that that, that's kind of why I've enjoyed working with NDs over the years. Um, and I've, I've seen them for a variety of issues. I just saw one again, uh, a few months ago for some bladder stuff that I was going through. And I think that that root cause approach is just so beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's also like, I feel like there's like a bigger education component that you often don't get when you see an MD for a 10 minute visit that you guys are are really helping to focus on as well, which definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe let's go ahead and jump into gut health, which is what this, this whole conversation is. And so I think we'll start with just a general overview of gut health and then get more into the connection between gut health and hormones specifically. And so I feel like over the past year, the past few years, the term gut health has become like more mainstream as a word. And you kind of see it all over social media, of like, make sure you're paying attention to your gut health. You might have poor gut health, things like that. And so maybe let's start with just understanding what the phrase gut health actually means. Yeah, absolutely. So gut health is pretty much, it is a very vague term. And I think depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different answer. So for me, what gut health means is you have poops, you don't have GI symptoms, basically, like you don't have um, gas or bloating, you're not having issues with constipation, you're pooping on a daily basis, and it feels comfortable to poop. You're not straining, it's not coming out in like small little chunks, and it's not really loose and um kind of all over the place. You're not seeing food um, in your stools. Like all of those are telling me that, okay, you have a healthy gut um, from the time you eat to the time you poop. Like it's, it's a healthy amount of time and it, and it feels comfortable to pass. So I always like to say, are you having daily bowel movements? Are they well-formed? Are they easy to pass? Do you have gas and bloating? Do you have acid reflux? Do you have indigestion? If you say no to all of that, I would say your gut health is probably okay. Um, Typically, I don't see that happen with women with hormonal issues to ever say yes to that, to all of those. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Jane and I both have suffered with uh, a variety of, of topics or symptoms related to that, that, that we can get into. Um, and so generally you, if you go down kind of that list of things that are either good or bad in terms of your gut health, what is kind of the next step of when working with someone, if they say that they're having those symptoms, so not regular bowel movements and some of those other things you mentioned. Yeah. I always like to say, um, I typically, when I work with people one-on-one, I like to say, give me your diet diary. What are, what did you eat in the past three days? That way I can kind of get an idea of what your day to 
day-to-day life looks like and what you are eating on a regular basis. And from there, we kind of go into talking about any food intolerances you might have. If you're really gassy and really bloated, um, that's usually a trigger to me that there's some dysbiosis going on. There's too much of that pathogenic bacteria in your colon, probably not enough of that beneficial um, flora. And it's causing issues with the foods that you're eating. So sometimes um, it, you just have to cut out certain foods that are, are triggering for you for a little bit of time while we work on that gut flora. And then after we work on that, when you eat it in moderation, you have a much better time. So I always like to say, let's identify those food triggers first. So the most common one I always see is dairy. That's usually my biggest go-to because yeah. nine out of 10 times it's dairy. So it's just a big high yield. Yeah, for me too. Yeah. I was in denial about dairy for so many years. I was like, it's gluten, it's gluten. Cause it was just easier for me to be gluten-free than dairy-free. And then I finally like came to, um, came to my senses and was like, okay, I'll try cutting out dairy. And I knew it was that. And of course it was. So <laughs> so that was um, a huge denial for me. And I think for many people, literally almost everyone I talk to, whenever I'm like, I think you should cut out dairy. They're like, yeah, I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> so yeah. no one's ever surprised when I say it, but um, I think a lot of people just benefit from cutting that out. And so I always start with dairy. Um, other things that I see that um, typically people will have issues with, especially hormonally are um alcohol, sugar, and gluten. So dairy, soy, alcohol, sugar, and gluten are kind of the main ones that I see. If you want to take it further, you can also do like the whole autoimmune paleo diet. Um, it's just very restrictive. I don't typically like to prescribe diets. So I always like to say, let's figure out your body, figure out what you need, um, and what's causing you the most issues. So if it's not dairy, what is it? We'll kind of go down the list and knock it out and see what's the biggest trigger for you. Yeah. And are there other things that you would say tend to influence your gut health outside of just like food triggers? Absolutely. The biggest thing I see aside from food is stress. Stress impacts your gut microbiome immensely. Um, I remember for me, um, it was 2018. I had something really, really stressful happen and I stressed about it for like two months. And after that, my face started breaking out and I couldn't get rid of it. I had really bad cystic acne my poops were all over the place, like just inconsistent on a day-to-day basis. And it took me a really long time to get it back on track just from that one, like couple months of really severe stress. Um, and so stress, I think people don't realize how much it can impact your gut and how much it doesn't take like just two months of stress. It took me three years to get back on track. Yeah. So, um, Yeah. I mean, it also took me a while to figure out what it was. So that also (laughs) kind of, you know, played a role, but yeah, stress is a really, really big one that I think a lot of people underestimate how much it can affect the rest of your health. It's not just affecting your sleep and your mood and feeling stressed. It's also affecting your gut health. So, um, that's a really big factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. And we see that like a, a major thing with PCOS and what we're doing with poly right now is thinking about stress management as well. And so I feel like stress can interact with so many different kind of other symptoms that you're feeling within your life. And sometimes it's hard to think that like, oh, this is actually being caused by stress. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then in terms of testing, like, do you do any testing with your patients that see you? What are the testing options if you want to try and start to figure out what's going on with your gut health? 
Absolutely. So I'm much more of a conservative approach when it comes to testing um, for gut stuff, just because I've seen so much success just doing things empirically um, that I, and, and a lot of the GI testing is just so expensive. It's out of pocket. Insurance doesn't cover it. So I always like to save my patients cash if I can. Um, and I like to say, let's start with one, addressing all of these factors. Let's address your stress. Let's address any food intolerances. Let's see what's going on with your microbiome um, and, and kind of try a couple of things. If we're still not seeing any progress, we're still seeing a ton of symptoms. At that point, I'd say, let's consider doing a stool testing. Um, there are several different ones that you can do. Um, depending on which provider you work with, they're going to give you different, different options. I know um, the GI map is kind of the most popular one that most people do. So that one kind of maps out everything for you, looking at your entire microbiome, looking at um, inflammatory factors, looking at your good bacteria versus bad bacteria. It looks at a whole list of things. And so that would be a good place to start if you feel like nothing has improved. You've made a ton of changes. You've tried a lot of things. You've done you've done whatever you can and you're still not seeing change, then at that point, I would say um, looking at your stool and looking at your microbiome might be really helpful just to give yourself a better idea of um, what you're missing. Yeah. And do you think like, I know there's a lot of direct to consumer gut tests right now, and I've actually looked into a few for myself. Do you think it's hard? One of the concerns I have is just understanding all the data because I feel like it's spitting back a lot of information and like trying to navigate that. And so like, do you have any tips or recommendations for someone who might be ordering an an at-home test and like how to proceed afterwards? Uh, I always say work with someone, you know, my biggest thing, just even for myself is I hate doing the things I'm bad at doing. And I always like to hire someone to tell me to do or help me with the things I'm not good at. So I always say work with somebody who can help you interpret that because sometimes even for me, I get, I get a little stumped when I look at some patients, um, GI maps, and I have to kind of consult with other people and have multiple brains to look at one thing just to see, okay, like, what are your thoughts on this? And we'll kind of collaborate together. Um, so if you're, you know, not trained in that, it's really hard to look at all of that information because it's really overwhelming. It goes through a lot of stuff. So it can definitely be a little overwhelming. I would say find somebody you trust that can help you interpret that. Um, because that can make such a difference. Yeah. Um, and would you recommend that people retest? Like if you, if you do end up going down the path of testing with the patient, will you retest in six months or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I usually say, yeah, six months to a year is a good time to kind of recheck just to know that you're on the right path um, for, for addressing that stuff, because you don't want to feel like you've put in all this time and effort and supplements and change things around, and then you're not getting anywhere. So, and things change, you know, your stressors might change, like what's going on in your life might change. And so um, taking all of that into consideration, is always good. And retesting, I say, I like to say retest once um, yeah. at the very least, just so you know, like you're, you're moving forward. Yeah. No, I think that that's helpful. And obviously you can see progress in yourself, like in what you're actually looking like or in your stress levels. But I think it's sometimes nice, especially if you did the testing in the beginning to actually see like concrete um, results as well, paired with just how you're feeling in general. And Jane, maybe we jump in now into talking more about hormones um, since that's, that's what we're mainly focused on at Poly. Absolutely. Yeah. So gut health is obviously its own topic and it's a huge topic. We talk a lot about hormones at Polly, as anyone listening knows, and there is a very close link between the two. And I think that that is something that people like you, Saru, talk about a lot 
But if you are just going to a run of the mill practitioner, the, the likelihood that that's going to be brought up is probably pretty low. And so I guess just to start, and this is a very open-ended question intended to be, but what is the connection between gut health and our hormones? Yeah, there is a very, yeah. That, so the gut brain axis is something that has kind of come emerging more in research. Yeah. Um, and recently I just read an article that was saying that they are studying probiotics for the treatment of depression and anxiety. So if that doesn't tell you how much of a connection there is between like literally your gut health and everything, um, I don't know, but um, your gut health is really important, especially I deal a lot with PMS, period pain, heavy periods. And th for that, we really like to consider um, estrogen and your gut in particular has a group of bacteria called a strobilome. And that bacteria can actually modulate the um, excretion of estrogen from your gut. So your liver is processing all of your estrogen and then it sends it out for excretion in your gut. And your gut is actually modulating what what stays and what goes. And so if you have dysbiosis, that uh, estrobilome activity is going to be a lot higher than we want to see it. And so when that activity is higher, what it's doing is that all that estrogen that was marked for excretion from your liver is actually getting put back into circulation um, instead of getting excreted by your gut. And so that's really where I like to talk about what's your gut health doing? Is it in good... Um, uh, is in good measure for excreting all of the hormones that we need to be excreting because that's typically what I see is that um, is that higher level of estrobilum activity in my patients who have some of these hormonal issues. So interesting. Your gut has to be the last stop in excreting all of those hormones. Interesting. And so it sounds like a dysfunctional gut can contribute to imbalanced hormones. Can Absolutely. it be flip flopped where imbalanced hormones? can have an impact on your gut or does it more so start with the gut issue? Would you say? I would say it probably started with the gut issues. Okay. Hormones are typically the last thing we see to change. So yeah. if you're noticing symptoms with your hormones, it's because a bunch of other things upstream were going on before you saw the symptoms of hormonal issues happen. Right. Um, right. So it was probably you had gut issues for a while and that affected your hormones. Um, I don't typically see people who started having period issues and then had gut issues. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've, I've seen that myself actually just with having some GI problems and then a few months later having acne or like my periods becoming irregular. Right. Um, and, and I think, and the gut stuff is interesting because that can change so quickly for me, at least like depending on what I'm eating and stuff, but it's more so like if there's irregularity for a prolonged period of time, it can be a precursor to some hormone related symptoms. Totally. Another question about this, and then we can get into some listener questions is just what are signs? I know that you kind of covered this initially, but what are signs that there is something that's off with your gut slash hormone connection? Yeah. Um, typically any, so gut health is such a vast, like black hole of things. Like literally I have patients who come to me and they're like, I have this symptom and that symptom, and they don't think it's correlated at all. And I hear it and I'm like, Oh, that's your gut. So anything from like dandruff to acne, to fatigue, to having trouble sleeping or joint pain or dry skin, um, sinus infections, allergies, uh, 
what else you name it, it can be related yeah. to your gut. And so it's kind of hard to be like X, Y, Z symptom. It's, it's so many symptoms are affected. Anything that shows up on your skin, your energy levels, your hair, your nails, your, um, your, your joint pain, anything that's inflammatory, your periods, like all of those can be affected by your gut. So it's kind of like, I like to say your gut is a crux of everything. If you're having gut issues and all of these other unexplained symptoms, I usually like to say that's probably related to your gut. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of what we've learned personally, me and Sabrina, as well as learning even more through the practitioners that we've worked with at Poly. Um, so that was kind of like, that was like the main part of the questions that we had for you. We, we do have some more specific questions, obviously with the caveat that none of this is advice, um, and not, no one should be taking what Sarah says and running with it, but we asked our community some questions and Sabrina and I also have some personal questions ourselves <laughs> if, if you're ready to get into that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I can start with a question about myself, which is that, I, I am not on hormonal birth control. So my cycle is a normal cycle. I use non-hormonal contraceptive methods. And I have noticed that my poops really vary depending on where I'm at in my cycle. Mm -hmm. And so typically my pattern or whatever you want to call it is when I am getting my period, I'm pooping a ton and it, there's a likelihood that it's going to be looser stools, mm -hmm. um, through ovulation, they then become normal. And like, I would say solid poops, like one flush down the toilet, don't smell much. The one log that the internet tells you is like, quote unquote, <laughs> healthy, uh, more information than anyone listening ever needed to know. And then after ovulation stuff can get a little bit haywire again. And I would say that I, I've been thinking about gut health so much more, especially for the past year. I've been on antibiotics a lot for UTIs. Um, I've invested in a probiotic that I think is a quality probiotic. We have a question about that later. And I'm, I'm just very, very mindful of gut health. And so between ovulation and actually starting to bleed again, it has gotten better in the past. I used to just be constipated for like two weeks, basically. And now it kind of goes back and forth between like constipation and then some looser stools, but it's, it's a very clear pattern that like from the time of starting to bleed to ovulation, my, my gut seems to be doing better. And so what, what is that about? Is that a thing? Am I crazy? It's totally <laughs> a thing. Yeah. Period poops are definitely a thing. And it's that estrogen and progesterone component. So in your luteal phase, if you're ovulating um, regularly, you're going to have that progesterone and progesterone can actually cause constipation in a lot of people. And it's actually the hormone that's responsible for pregnancy constipation. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, I had a lot of that happen when I was pregnant is, is that constipation piece. And that is all because of progesterone. So progesterone can definitely cause a little bit more of that bloating and constipation feeling before your period starts. And then if like right before your period and during your period, you're having like more of the diarrhea type poops, that's because of those prostaglandins typically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so usually when there's a little bit more of those prostaglandins, you might have more of that contraction and that contraction is to help stimulate your uterus to expel the lining, but that, um, but that's not limited to your uterus. It's to all smooth muscles. So it's going to also, um, help contract your bowels. And so you're probably going to be pooping a lot more frequently and a lot, it, it's probably going to be looser if you have yeah. a little bit more of that prostaglandin, um, uh, in your body. 
Interesting. No, that, that is so, so incredibly interesting. I guess one quick follow-up question I have, is that okay? Like, is it okay to have some variation throughout the course of one cycle? Is it, is it like a cause for concern or is it just kind of something that happens? And if it's not disruptive to life, it's, it's probably yeah. okay. I would say, yeah, it depends on the person. Like if yeah. you're, um, if you're having period poops, but you don't have any other period symptoms, like you're not having pain or really heavy bleeding or clotting or PMS or any other issues, I would say it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if it is, like you said, if it's interfering with your life and you're like, I feel so uncomfortable and I have all these other symptoms, then I would say, let's, assess, uh, let's address that. Um, uh, the period poops. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so a question for me that I've, I've been thinking about, I guess, a lot over the years um, is just what is the sign of a healthy poop? Because I feel like my poops and friends' poops fluctuate <laughs> a lot. And maybe that's in part due to what Jane just talked about in terms of period poops. But I'm just wondering if you have any guidance in terms of what people should look for to classify that they have more of a, quote, healthy poop. Yeah. Um, so like Jane had mentioned earlier, the one log is always a good, <laughs> is always a good place to start. Um, but I always like to say, if you look at a Bristol, a Bristol stool chart, um, yeah. I like a nice four, maybe, uh, a three. Um, but yeah. So if you're listening, I would say Google Bristol stool chart <laughs> and look at and see what your poops are on average. I'd like to see closer to a four. So yeah, like that smooth snake-like easy to pass. That's important because some people are like, yeah, I poop every day, but they're straining or they feel like they have to poop. They sit down, they poop and it's like, they got a little bit out, but they still feel like there's some more in there. So just because you're pooping every day, doesn't mean that it's always like a healthy poop. So do you feel like you had a full evacuation after you pooped? Um, do you feel like it was easy to pass? Like you sit there, you're not pushing, you're not straining, you're not turning blue in the face. Like it's just kind of sliding out on its own. Um, and it is well-formed. It has a shape to it. It doesn't just kind of disintegrate when it falls into the toilet and gets all like fluffy and mushy. Um, yeah. And to the other piece, it's not like a bunch of little hard balls and like all like, um, I had one patient describe her poop as goat poop. And I love that um, yeah. analogy because it's literally <laughs> yeah. like goat poop. So yeah. Um, yeah. You want like one long formed, um, snake-like smooth poop. Yeah. I, it's funny. So Jane and I re refer to cow pie poops a lot, which <laughs> reminds me yeah. of goat poop. And that definitely happens to me. And I'm convinced right now that it's due to the tap water that I'm drinking in my house. And I have no idea if that's based on anything, but have you heard like that, like texture, like of a cow pie poop? What are your like thoughts around that? Um, I would say I wanted a little bit more formed. So yeah. I'm wondering like if fiber might be something that is like, usually when we're seeing like those, those looser, mushier stools, it's because yeah, fiber might be lacking or there might be something you're eating. Um, I typically have a lot of patients who have like the loose stools and like the urgency and the frequency, which feels like, um, I think a lot of people don't realize this isn't normal, but if you feel like, like as soon as you get the urge to poop and then you're like, I have to go right now or I'm going to poop my pants. Yeah. That's urgency. And that's not normal. You should be able to hold it a little that bit. Me so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think I need to see you for my, <laughs> oh, I love it. well, you know where to find me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Yeah, you should. Yeah. Emma, my, my friend Emma is seeing Saru for anyone listening right now, and she's been having an amazing time. She's seeing her for poop stuff. <laughs> stuff. Yes, come, yeah. come to me with all of your poop stuff. <laughs> I love gut health. <laughs> And would you say with the sense of like urgency, I've had times where I've eaten something and I've immediately had to go to the bathroom. Is that a reaction to what I'm just ate or is it related to? It's no, it's related to just gut health overall not related to what you just ate. I mean, depends because I do have some, no, because like, even if you have a food intolerance to something you just ate, it wouldn't be like immediate within yeah. like five minutes, usually probably like 30 minutes or so. Okay. Um, because it, it takes like at least 30 minutes for your food to even empty out of your stomach. So if it's something you're immediately eating and then having to go, that's usually that gastropolic reflex, mm. um, which can be normal. But if usually that is triggering to me there's something inflammatory going on in in your gut is like there's there's some amount of inflammation and your gut is just kind of irritated um as I like to say in very non-medical terms your gut is irritated um so yeah I feel like you eat and immediately just have to like evacuate um I would say let's kind of do some anti-inflammatory things look at what you're eating that is possibly causing some inflammation in your gut and figuring that out Yeah. Um, no, that's definitely helpful. And then switching gears a little bit in terms of probiotics and Jane mentioned this a little bit earlier, I'm wondering your thoughts in general, do probiotics actually work? I feel like there's a lot of new probiotics on the market. There's a lot of new, like direct to consumer companies. I'm getting ads all the time for probiotics on Instagram. What do you think of them? And how do you know what is actually a good probiotic? Like what are the things to look for? Um, in any supplement, it's always good to look for that USP verification, which basically says that it is, um, what's in the product and what's advertised in the product is actually in there. There's not, um, overly high levels of contaminants in there. And they know that the, the quantity that's advertised is actually in there. It's not more than what they're saying and it's not less than what they're saying. Um, so that's a good mark of that. And then, um, if they do third-party testing, third-party testing is also really important because any company can be like, yeah, this works and claim that. But if another company that has no stake in that company is also saying that and testing their products, that's usually always a good um, indicator that, okay, this product is probably a good, um, a good product and is what they say it is. So those are the two main things we look for. I have brands that I like to use um, that are typically not available over the counter because I know they're all USP verified. They're all third-party tested. Um, and um, those are the ones I like to use. As far as a probiotic, I do think it can be helpful when you're having gut issues. Um, it's not something I want someone to be on forever if they can help it. But if that's just where your, your baseline is, that's okay too. But in general, usually probiotics are kind of used for a few months, maybe a year, maybe a little bit longer, but, um, it's not like years and years and years. I want you to be on that probiotic. Um, you could maybe like switch up the probiotics, but yeah, if you are having gut issues, I would say probiotic can be very helpful. Um, figure out if the companies that you're buying from are, are quality products. And, um, what was the other question? Yeah. Just if you think they work, which, um, yeah, Yeah, they do. They can be really helpful. I would say there are also different types of probiotics. Um, I use live probiotics and spore probiotics with my patients. So depending on how severe or where they're at, um, I, I really love the spore probiotic that I use for, for people. It works really well. I've even seen it clear up things like, um, vaginal infections, UTIs, Mm -hmm. um, 
gut health stuff, of course, but I really have been loving the spore probiotic. And for me, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. So keeping a probiotic in the fridge is like the worst thing I can do because I will never take it because I never see it. So for me, my supplements have to be right in front of me or I don't take it. And so that's also why I love the spore probiotic is because it doesn't need to be refrigerated. Um, so it travels well and, um, compliance is higher. Yeah. That's really interesting. I didn't know the distinction to be honest between the two. Um, yeah, Jane, I don't know if you did. I, I like kind of do. Um, I was aware that like there was, there is a distinction, but I'm not super well-versed on it. I've gotten more into like, it, it is really interesting. I've read a lot of research this year on how like you can really target stuff with specific strains of bacteria. And I just think that is so, so neat. And the mental health connection that with the gut brain axis that you had mentioned earlier that is really exciting and interesting um and so it'll be neat to see kind of where where probiotics go I guess yeah I'm excited to see where it goes I feel like NDs have been talking about probiotics for decades and now that like everyone like now that there's more research and everyone's talking about it it's like oh probiotics yeah. So I'm glad that people are like finally starting to see how big of a deal your gut health is for your overall health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so another question, and this is more a question that we've gotten from our community and we got it for this episode specifically, but it's something that we've heard many times. And that is, is there a connection Two questions, I guess, um, you can answer them together though. Is there a connection between, or what are some signs that you're dealing with a gut related PCOS issue or a PCOS related gut issue? And also with endometriosis. And I know with endo, there's some probably more stuff to that. Um, but is there anything specific that you would call out there? I don't know that I'd say like, XYZ symptoms equal this hormonal issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it, it looks so different for everyone, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I have so many people, I have so many patients who have PCOS and endometriosis and all of their gut symptoms are different. I have some that have heartburn. I have some that don't. I have some that have bloating. I have some that have gas. I have some that have both. Um, some with constipation, some with diarrhea, like it can go in any direction because it depends on you and your gut microbiome and what's going on. So the symptoms it's hard. It's, I never see really a correlation between, um, a certain type of gut symptom and a, and one specific hormonal disorder condition. Yeah. I think that that gets into why personalization is so important because if there was some sort of like perfect one-to-one fit like that, then like, there would be more of like a one size fits all treatment for this stuff. And there's not exactly. Awesome. And then last question that we have for today is just top five things to eliminate in your diet that hurt your hormones slash gut health. And I know that can be taken a lot of ways, so it doesn't need to be the top five ways, but what are five things that you would be wary of? Five things, obviously dairy. We talked about that. Um, alcohol. That's a really big one that I think it's hard to say because people are like, well, what do I do when I go out? And I think it's, it's one of those things that it's like, if it's really bad and it's affecting your hormones and your gut, it might be good to just cut out alcohol for a couple of months and see how, um, how much of an impact that has on your overall health. Because, um, I think a lot of us drink a lot more than we think we do. And, um, that can play a huge role in stressors for your gut, for your inflammation, for stress levels, your cortisol, your blood sugar, your sleep. Um, one drink can affect your sleep negatively and that's going to throw off your cortisol. That's going to throw off your insulin. So, um, just one drink 
just one drink. Does yeah. that. So, and I know, you know, there's a lot of people who do drink multiple drinks in one night. Um, yeah. So even if it's not on a daily basis, even if you have one drink once a week, that's still affecting that insulin the next day. Yeah. I actually, I, sorry to cut you off, but I, I've been more or less like, I mean, Sabrina has been the one hanging out with me, but I've been more or less sober for like the past few months. Um, I've drank a few times, but because of these UTIs and I've become much more sensitive to alcohol as a result, not just like my tolerance is low, but the, the, first of all, I'm, I'm feeling hungover from like two drinks. Um, and my, my stomach has been messed up pretty significantly afterward. And also just like this, like brain stuff, like feeling very out of it, feeling brain foggy for like literally two days after like two glasses of wine. Um, and I, I, I don't think I'm someone where I'm going to like cut out alcohol forever. I want to be able to like drink yeah, it in exactly. situations, but it's, it's been interesting just to see how sensitive my body is to yeah. it. And that that's I- such a good point. Cause I think that's exactly the same thing with dairy. I think like yeah. when you have a little bit so regularly, you don't realize how much of an impact it has. Yeah. Um, and then once you cut it out for a few weeks and then you eat it again, you're like, oh my God, I feel awful. And that's really any food intolerance. So, um, so I think that's a great example. Yeah. Would you say a few weeks is enough time or does it need to be like a few months? Like what is that like sweet spot? Yeah. So to test, so the gold standard for food intolerance testing is an, is a elimination diet. Um, the food intolerance testing, like blood testing that we do is not typically very accurate at all. Um, and so if you really want to be hundred percent accurate, it's this elimination diet and the elimination diet is, um, three weeks. So you're going to cut out foods for three weeks entirely. That's the hardest part though, is you have to completely eliminate any amount of it for three weeks. And then you introduce it for one day, every single meal, introduce a little bit of it. So that one day you introduce it and then you stop for three to five days. And in those three to five days, you see what symptoms you had because for food intolerances, it's not like a food allergy. It's not going to show up right away. Wow. It's going to take that three to five days for something to kind of pop up. So, um, I usually like to say, wait three to five days and see, you know, did you have headaches? Did it affect your sleep? Did you break out? Um, what happened yeah. with any of the other symptoms you might've been cutting it out for? Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it waits, but, but I cut you off. I'm sorry. So we've got, we've oh, got, I was done talking, <laughs> okay, well, but, but we've got for like five things to think about or just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. eliminate or, or not eliminate, but, but consider uh-huh. having a new relationship with dairy, alcohol. Um, are we talking just food wise or food? I think food, let's expand the question, uh, food slash lifestyle wise. And so it can be, it can be beyond yeah. food. Yeah. Um, I would say consider cutting out screens for 30 minutes before you go to sleep and see how that affects, because that's going to affect your sleep. That's going to affect your moods. That's going to affect your energy levels. Um, if you can sleep better, you're going to feel better. Your insulin response is going to be better. Your inflammatory response is going to be better if you get a good night of sleep. So, um, I would say like eliminating your screens for 30 minutes before bed can be such a useful tool for so many things, um, in your overall health, um, particularly just getting better sleep, which can, I think people underestimate stress and sleep. Um, sleep makes such a big impact on our moods, anxiety, depression, um, insulin sensitivity, um, your cortisol levels, your hormones, your totally levels, so many things. Yeah. It's so powerful. (laughs) Um, okay. So that was so we did alcohol, dairy, 
screens. Um, a couple others, I would say gluten is one that I'll, I don't even typically tell my patients to cut out gluten and they'll come back to me and be like, oh, I decided to cut this out and it makes such a big difference for them. And so I think, you know, it's always worth considering. Some people do really well being gluten-free. Some people don't notice anything at all. So um, I would say again, three weeks, cut it out. If you notice a difference, then you know that that's what it is. Yeah. If you don't notice a difference then great, you know, continue on. But gluten can, I think, be one of those big things for people um that make that make a really big impact on on their life so um that's four and then a fifth one I'm just trying to like think of like the top five there I oh yeah don't it doesn't many um that's a high pressure situation (laughs) I would say the last thing would be this would be an adding in thing, not taking out, but just add in some kind of movement to your day. The amount of benefits you get for your mood and your cortisol and your insulin for, um, uh, from exercising a little bit every single day. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I would say if you don't have a practice or a routine of starting exercise, do five minutes, like just set a timer for five minutes every single day and just do something for five minutes because that five minutes eventually will turn into 10 and eventually that increases it's really just about getting that habit and if you can do something exercise wise for five minutes once a day then you're good you have a habit and once you have that habit you can slowly start increasing yeah that's yeah I think that that is such great advice both Sabrina and I are firm believers about movement being helpful, even if it's like just a walk or just, and I know a lot of people I'm seeing on Instagram right now are doing like solo dance parties. And that's something that I personally, I I've never done that. Maybe I'll get into it, but it's so easy. You know, you can do, you can jam out to some music wherever. Yeah. Turn on your favorite music and yeah, Yeah. take your clothes off, dance in your underwear. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was, that was our list of questions that we had for you, Saru. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and just sharing a little bit more about gut health as well as the gut hormone connection. Um, Thank you so much. And where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok. I do send out a weekly newsletter as well. And that is where all of the like more in depth of hormone gut stuff is always, um, is in my, in my newsletter. So if you are not a part of that, I would say definitely join there. You can always hit reply. And I always like to hear from people. So if you have any questions, you can just shoot me an email, send me a DM on Instagram or comment on any of my videos. I feel like I'm pretty active on all of the, all of the realms. So find me wherever you can. Awesome. And we will, we will link Saru's website as well as her Instagram and TikTok in the show notes for anyone that wants to follow along. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Saru. Thank you. Of course. Thank you.